I'm Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. In these gurus editions, we'll feature strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, recovery scientists, and other performance specialists who help athletes to be their best. Today, we're talking with Kelsey Gomes, Director of Sports Nutrition for the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, my alma mater. Gomes works with all of the nearly 1,000 athletes on UNC's varsity teams, providing nutrition evaluation, education, and meal planning for athletes of all shapes and sizes with vastly different backgrounds and dietary needs. She helps them gain, lose, and maintain healthy weight, and through food and supplements, helps them to optimize their training, performance, and recovery. It's so nice to meet you. And I'm so excited to do this because I went to North Carolina long before you got there because I'm an old person and I played (laughs) softball and club ice hockey there and I am a Tar Heel through and through. So I'm super excited to talk with you. No, that's so neat. When were you here in school? I was there from 95 to 99, graduated in 99. And I don't know that we had a nutritionist on staff when I was there. (laughs) I don't think so. I think Jen Ketterly, I think it was 2004 was when athletics like finally. So, I mean, we are one of a longer standing, I guess, sports nutrition departments. I think there were like eight in the early 2000s, but, and so we were one of the first eight, but it's just like sports nutrition has just evolved so much. It's so cool because I know that as a college athlete, I was pretty well-educated. My mom was super into health and nutrition as I was growing up. And I definitely knew what I should be eating, but I can't say that I did that all the time. And I think that had I had a nutritionist kind of needling me a little bit, it might've been a little bit uh, easier to not eat the chips like in between innings and do those sort of things. But uh, yeah, it's so interesting to me when I was at UNC, it was Pepper's Pizza and Hector's Late Night. And I know that timeout chicken is still a thing down there. And you guys have sup dogs now and like Mama Dips fried chicken. So like, I'm dying to know how you steer any (laughs) of your athletes in the right direction when there's so much temptation with all of that amazing Southern food. That's so funny. So before I came to school to, uh, to work here, I started here in 2015. I worked at Florida, at the University of Florida. And so I was there from like 2012 to 2015. And I worked with Coach Walt and I had softball there. So we won like back-to-back national championships there. And one of my in-laws keep joking with me still because on TV, the girls would like in between games were getting the funnel cakes that were there in Oklahoma City. And they were on there with like Twizzlers. And so my in-laws keep joking with me all the time. They're like Twizzlers and funnel cakes. Like that's the secret to national championships. Like... (laughs) I don't see why not. I mean, they're delightful and certainly motivate anyone to to be their best. So, so you joined UNC in 2015. Before that, you were in Florida. What's your background as a nutritionist? So I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was a swimmer. And so I swam at, um, it's Mac, I guess, like our Mecklenburg Aquatic Club was what it was at the time. I think it's kind of changed a little bit now, but so sports were always a big part of my life growing up. And then I ended up swimming in college. I went to UNCW and um, swam there collegiately for four years. But during like my sophomore year, I took a, a, a nutrition class There we didn't have a, there wasn't a major in nutrition. I was a health education major at UNC, but I took this nutrition class and I loved it. And my professor was a registered dietitian and uh, her name was Dr. Kaiser. And I asked her, I was like, is there a profession? Like, is there a path to this? Like, can I do this? Or is there anything that involves sports that I could do this somehow? And she's like, well, there is, but 
it's growing. It's really small right now. And so I started to just really kind of look at like what my college career and what I could do differently, like with myself, and then started looking at other programs. And Florida State was one of the only programs at the time that actually had a combined master's in clinical, master's degree in nutrition. And so applied to Florida State and ended up getting into Florida State. And so I went down there and was a a grad assistant for Neil Harper. He's head coach at Arkansas now, but he was um, a head coach at FSU at the time. And and so I still got to kind of be involved in the swimming side of things because I wasn't sure if I wanted to coach still or if I just wanted to be a dietitian. But I got really involved in the athletic department there. And then there just weren't any jobs in sports. I graduated from FSU in 2009 and there just weren't any jobs in sports right away. So I, I did, I took my RD exam past that and then just started applying for anything that I could get. I knew I really wanted to be in Florida. I just wasn't ready to leave the state of Florida yet. Mm-hmm. So I got a, my first job. It was a clinical job and it was literally my interview was the day after I took my RD exam. And I was like, Oh my gosh, if I fail this and I have to tell them like, sorry, I, pa- I didn't pass my RD exam, um, but luckily I did. So when I went down there, but I got a job at Orlando regional medical center in the traumatic brain injury and rehab unit down there. And so it was neat. I was able to work with, they weren't athletes, but at least they were active. So to be on that unit, you had to be able to complete 180 minutes of therapy a day between physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech. And so it was nice that you kind of knew that they were going to be walking around the unit. You actually could go and have a conversation and their stays were longer. Like you could have somebody that stayed there anywhere from two weeks. And then we had some people that just depending on their recovery or depending on their injury could stay up to 12 weeks like in there. But it was also nice because we did, we rounded on patients. So, I mean, it was, it really strengthened my confidence. I felt like as a dietitian because those two units, the rehab and the traumatic brain injury side really relied on me just for recommendations. So on the brain injury side, if somebody was coming off of a tube feed um, and we needed to do a calorie count or figure out if the doctor was going to remove their peg tube, if they were hundred percent on, on tube feeding or just what their, if there was some type of education that needed to be done prior to them going home. So if it was a diabetic education, if we were changing some type of supplement or if we were changing their formula. So really worked really closely with all of those, with the PTs, with the OTs and the speech therapists, and then the doctors and nurses as well. And so you can kind of translate that almost into the sport side of things, like the performance side, where I work really closely now with athletic trainers, our strength coaches. And so, and then also our medical team as well, like being underneath sports medicine here. So I knew I didn't want to work in the hospital forever. (laughs) So I started volunteering with kind of a local sports dietitian who did the Orlando Magic. And I was just doing anything that she needed. I was like, can I create handouts for you? Like anything, like, can I just come shadow you one day? Anything, because there just weren't the fellowships that are available now and just the internships like just weren't available back then. And so it was just anything I could do, any sports dietitian that I could go shadow just to get experience on my resume. Because I probably applied for 25 jobs that I was not qualified for at the time. And all of them, like if I got an interview out of it, they were like, well, Kelsey, you need to go get more experience. And I'm just like, how the heck am I supposed to go get more experience if nobody is going to even like offer me a job or let me get experience? So that was all I could kind of do at the time. And then that dietitian, her name's Tara Guidas, offered me a a job because she ended up getting the contract for UCF out in Orlando. So she ended up offering me a job because they were paying her for 20 hours a week. And she was like, I can't dedicate this time to it. And I know you really want to do sports. Like, will you come work for me in my private practice and still do like, 20 hours for UCF and 20 hours for me. So it was kind of a, a leap of faith, I guess. And just kind of like going from like, 
this with like benefits, everything to doing this. And so I worked for her for about a year and a half and really knew I wanted to do college sports. I just, I love college sports. I love the education side of things. I love teaching athletes. I love kind of seeing where they come in at and just watching them develop, I guess, over time. And whether that is transitioning into a normal person, like right after they get done with sports, (laughs) if that's going to the pros. So whatever that life after sport looks like, just helping them with that, I think is just so much fun. But UCF couldn't, they weren't going to hire somebody full-time. So there ended up being a job opening at Florida. And that's when I went to Florida. So 2009, when you graduated from college is not that long ago. So (laughs) what happened over these 10 years where suddenly people realized that nutrition was such an important piece of the puzzle? What made that light go off? Yeah, no, I just think like there were... So Dave Ellis, he is kind of a nutrition guru, like among the sports nutrition world. And he was one of the first dietitians at Nebraska in 1994. They were the first program to have one. And so this group of dietitians, it was like Amy Bragg, I believe, who's at Alabama. She's Nick Saban's dietitian. It was like Becky Twombly, who's actually the dietitian for the Angels. Mm-hmm. And then I'm trying to think, Amy Friel, who was at Virginia Tech and at Indiana and now is is actually working for this organization that they ended up creating. But they created something called the Collegiate Professional Sports Dietitians Association or CPSDA. And I feel like just from when they created that and then just like more... I guess like colleges, universities, like coming to some of those conferences that they put on every year. Like, I don't know. It just took off. Like the statistics for like from 2008, nine, like when they first had that very first conference to now, I mean, the job market just went up there. We were like, it went from like eight schools to like 75 schools within five years that ended up hiring a full-time dietitian. But I think more kids started going around, like when they were going on recruiting trips too, like that tended to be something that they started, that coaches started involving dietitians in like learning about what they can do to fuel their athletes. And then in 2013, something called deregulation happened, which was basically prior to 2013, we were only allowed to provide student athletes with fruit, nuts, and bagels. What? (laughs) Yeah. So, but you couldn't, depending on your compliance department, you couldn't give peanut butter because it was a spread, even though it came from nuts or jelly, even though it came from a fruit. <laughs> so it was funny, like some schools like Allison Maurer, who's with the pirate staff, but was at Tennessee for a while. Like I had her athletic department actually like buy a peanut grinder to like make their own spread. And then they finally deregulated spreads. But basically after 2013, because so many athletes, dietitians, had petitions with the NCAA, like we need to feed our athletes, like the amount of practices, the amount of energy expenditure that our athletes go through, we need more. And so they basically deregulated that where we could provide food or snacks like um, at any time. Okay. That is insane to me. I I am thinking about what I used to eat on the the bus trips back in the nineties. It was certainly more than fruit, nuts, and bagels. So when did they regulate and then have to deregulate? That's just, I don't, I don't expect you to know that, but that is just totally crazy. Fruit, nuts, and bagels is the only option you have. Half the team is allergic to peanuts. Half the team doesn't want to eat a bagel. So you're going to starve. Okay. (laughs) 
That's crazy. Like that was all that like universities could provide to them, I think around competition time. So I think if you were at traveling somewhere and we're having a pregame, like I think you could still give food based on like participation in sport, but at any time, like at fueling stations and stuff, it could only be fruit, nuts and bagels. That's very funny. How far we've come. Okay. Yeah. So that... Mainly that also just like skyrocketed. People were like, what the heck are we going to do? And so some of like the SEC schools that have bigger budgets, like were able to start hiring two, three dietitians and being able to actually like get food and fueling stations to a lot of the individualized sports. I assume that they were motivated to bring more and more dietitians onto their staffs because they saw positive results in athlete performance because of their presence, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned to me over email that you had a meeting with a lacrosse player this morning, an initial screening. So I really, I want to know what your day-to-day looks like. What does an initial screening with a college (laughs) athlete look like? Yeah. So we have like a nutrition intake form basically that we give all of our freshmen when they come in on campus. And so it's just looking at medical history. So looking at recent injuries, any ongoing medical issues that they have, any recent weight changes, current medications, any history of like iron deficiency anemia, kind of what their food intake looks like, just like how much of certain foods they consume. And so it's something that we can look at, you know, so if it's like milk products and somebody's like, well, no, I don't, I don't really eat milk products. And then I can kind of look in other areas, well, what's your calcium and vitamin D intake look like looking in and evaluating different supplements. So of course, like with, there is no NCAA certification for supplements. And so we really want to be careful just because supplements are very poorly regulated. You and I could create a supplement together and sell it. And until like the FDA said, this was not safe. It would be put on the market. So we just don't know like where people are buying the the thing, whether it's different protein powders, like, are they coming from China? Like what source is that coming from? Do they have other things in them that are not technically on the label? Because with FDA regulations, you don't technically have to list everything that's in them. And so that can be scary because our athletes, if they test positive for some sort of banned substance, they can lose up to a year of eligibility. And so we never want any of our athletes to lose eligibility. So we're really adamant on any time our athletes come into, or if they want to take something, they have to run it through their dietitian. So that is part of our policy here at UNC. If it's something that's fine and we look at it and it is a third party tested, just meaning that it has a, it's been through a third party certification. So this is NSF certified informed choice sport banned substance control group, and then regular informed choice and us pharmacopoeia. These are all third party tested brands. And that just means that basically it's been through their testing protocol. It's looked at and evaluated those supplements and the batches of them to make sure that it's tested for over 350 banned substances and steroids. And so it doesn't test for everything, but it has a pretty highly extensive, I guess, evaluation that they go through in order to actually have that stamp of third-party tested on it. How often do you have athletes coming in? Like, I just think about so many parents I know who have high school kids and their high school kids are just taking something because their friend is taking it. Do you often have athletes come in and they're on some sort of supplement and you're like, yo, you do not need to be taking that. Absolutely. Yeah. 
which is why we have to do, like we do these screenings with all of our freshmen when they come in. And so after they've gone through like this initial screening with us and we kind of look at their supplements, like I can say like, Hey, like you can't take this one, but here's an alternative. Like this one is okay to take, like you can go purchase this, but if it's anything outside of what we provide them. So the NCAA has, there's three different categories. There's a permissible category an impermissible category and a banned category permissible being protein or protein shakes. There used to be a rule with that where you couldn't actually give anything that was over 30% of the calories from protein, but that got deregulated too. We can provide very specific as well. That's really strange. Okay. (laughs) We can provide vitamins and Meryl. So like we can do based on testing that we do, whether it's iron testing or vitamin D or multivitamin, we can give vitamins and minerals to our athletes. We can give electrolytes and then we can give protein bars basically, or kind of the four permissible categories. Impermissible being that we can't provide them to them, but they can go purchase them on their own. So that's where like pre-workouts, creatine, BCAAs, that's where melatonin, all of that kind of falls. And so that's where we look for that third-party testing. So if it has NSF is kind of the gold standard that we use. And so looking at like what those supplements are, there is an app for that. So like for any of your friends, like with high school athletes, you can download that NSF um, app on their phone. And then, so you can put in the product and look for it. And so that way, if they're just going to go on Amazon to look for something, they can look for certain NSF protein powders and it does it by categories too. And then you have, of course, like your band, which is stimulant steroids, yeah. anything like that too. So we do look at those. And then the other things like kind of on our screening is um, screening for eating disorders as well. And so looking at questions like, have you ever tried to lose weight for any reason? Or has anyone told you you need to lose weight? Use of like uh, diuretics, laxatives, purging, binging, like any, um, or being diagnosed with, with an eating disorder. And then we look at for our females, what kind of their menstrual history is as well. What are the most common issues that you come across in the diets of college students that need to be addressed in some way? So I feel like it varies a lot. Like the great thing is, is like, again, like I kind of see like we're teachers also, like, I think some people think that dietitians are only going to be food police, but one, like we're making sure that adequacy of calories is kind of our number one goal. So making sure that like our athletes are eating adequately, then kind of looking at the timing of when they are eating throughout the day. Like, are you eating breakfast in the morning? When's the next time that you're eating? Where can we fit something in? If you aren't able to get something right before practice, like, can you pack snacks with you? Like what snacks are those? And then then you kind of look at the variety of what they're eating is kind of the other thing. So those are kind of three things in my mind that I usually look through when I'm kind of evaluating their dietary recall. And then looking at like, if they have had any like past injuries, like what's your protein intake look like? Are you having low energy? So looking at like how many carbs they're doing on a daily basis, like how are you not eating enough on some of those days? And then like based on any micronutrient testing that we do here, like that's also something. So I kind of try to find things and ask questions based on kind of the subjective data that I have in front of me. And then I kind of kind of go into my assessments from there. And then kind of in my mind, I try to pick what's the most important thing that they're going to respond to. Like what kind of reading the room of, you know, is this going to be an athlete that I can't give too much to right now? Or should I just give him one thing to work on? And whether that's like their hydration with trying to drink one water bottle a day or, you know, whatever it is, but I feel like they all, they vary so much. Does it vary a lot between the male athletes and the female athletes too? I think that in my experience anyway, with just looking at my CrossFit pals, the women all chronically undereat and the men all chronically overeat. (laughs) 
it's so different. The great thing with like, when I look at like football, so I'm with football a lot. I travel with them on the road. So I'm with them. Like we'll be in today, this afternoon, like the guys have a snack at three o'clock and then we'll go to team meeting at three 45. So I'm with them pretty much every day. They eat three meals a day. Like football has kind of invested a lot um, here, I guess at UNC in how much we feed football. And so I'm with them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I know them all like really, really well. And so I think like with them, I get to kind of catch things like before we go into game days. Like I know what, if I have 30 of our guys on specific hydration plans, like I am able to kind of test their different sweat rates during practice or during preseason is when I kind of try to do a lot of the stuff in the off season. So that way, when we get to season, like I have a plan for each of them. Like I know what they need on game day. I get to know, like, if I have guys that can't eat a lot, like right before the game, like, okay, well, I need to focus on the breakfast that morning to make sure that they do eat a lot to make sure that that they have enough calories to get through the day and through the game, especially with like, we have a seven 30 game tomorrow night. So for some of those guys, I'm going to try to push a lot like earlier on in the morning. And then even today. It's so interesting because so you just mentioned sweat rate and that's something I'm sure a lot of people don't know. You, you monitor how much sweat you lose during a workout. So you know how much you have to either hydrate during or rehydrate after. And everybody is completely, completely yeah. different. And some people don't like to drink during exercise at all. So that means you have to really jack them up with their fluids before they get on the field. And then also make sure that they're taking it home with them. These are college guys. Are they compliant? Do they listen? How do you get them to be active participants in their own hydration and nutrition plan when they probably just like want to eat a lot of Doritos? <laughs> so <laughs> it's all kind of a balance. The funny thing is, I feel like for some of them, something has to happen, right? Like you can talk to them about it and say like, Hey, like you need to make sure that you're drinking at least a gallon a day, or you need to make sure that pre-practice, like you're putting this certain electrolyte in it. And if they're like, Oh, Kelsey, like I'm fine. But then if they cramp or something happens or they get injured, then they're like, okay, what was that that you said <laughs> again? And so I feel like it's, they have to hear different messages quite a few times in order for them to make a change. But sometimes too, like having that physical data, a lot of nutrition now has become very individualized. And I think mm -hmm. athletes really like that a lot too. And so during the summer, like I just, like this past summer for sweat rates, like one day I did our entire O-linement, like during a conditioning session. And so it wasn't just, I guess, picking or pinpointing one person, like, and then I could look at all of their sweat rates, even though I knew like some of the ones that were more prone to cramping. And for those guys, those are the guys that I have to watch the closest during preseason camp too, because they can sweat out 10 pounds, like in a practice that they've lost in water weight because they're 300 to 325 pound guys. And then that way I can do a lot of education with that. But I think I think the really great thing, especially, I guess I'm talking more about football right now is like, I'm around them so much. And every day that I think that it is like, it's a comfort thing. Like they trust me. They, um, I've kind of built up that rapport with them. This is my seventh season with football here at UNC. And so I think that that's just been a really great thing. Like with buy-in is because I don't know, they know I'm not, I'm, I'm only going to push as much as I need to. And then I think just having a really great performance team and support system that I have with Luke Ross, who's our head athletic trainer here. And then Brian Hess, who's our head strength coach that both are very bought in. And I think with us having meetings kind of throughout the season and just like seeing each other every single day, they help support my messages 
which is really, really helpful as well. And so if something happens like Luke's like, you need to go talk to Kelsey, or if they miss a meal, like Coach Hess is like, you need to go see Kelsey. So, I mean, it's really great just having that collaborative. So I feel like that helps a lot with the buy-in. How do you deal with the athletes on the field hockey team or the gymnastics team or the baseball team that you're not with on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. And so I think I just try to make time for that. So around like football practices, like, or on like Mondays is off days for football. And then Fridays, football's not there until like the afternoon. And we're a morning practice team for football. So like on certain days of the week, like, especially so like for men's basketball, usually Mondays are the day that I go down there for men's basketball. And then if I know that I don't have something for football in the afternoon, I'll try to make a conditioning session. Same thing with like field hockey and women's lacrosse, like with doing, I try to prioritize like our in-season teams that are in season. So with field hockey, if I go down there, if I know that if they have a, I guess, two weekend games, like I'll try to do a hydration test with them that week, or I'll just kind of make sure I'm changing out. I just make it a priority to change out their fueling station education and trying to go down there around like when they're ending practice. So that way, if there's any questions that kind of come up or they're like, oh, like Kelsey, I'm so glad I saw you. I meant to talk to you about this. We do have a fueling station for our Olympic sport athletes. And so everybody but football is able to use that fueling station on a daily basis. It's open from 7.30 to 12.30. And so that's another like high touch area that I'm able to see some of those athletes that I don't get to see every day. So I really just try to set up those individual meetings on like the two days that football is not in practice. And then just really trying to go to some of these high touch areas so that I can be visible. What's in the fueling station? So we have different options. Our athletes get four points a day is what they get. And so we use a system called Mucho for tracking. And so it's an app that they swipe in to basically log in. And so it's how we can see how many athletes from the field hockey team or how many athletes from the baseball team are using it on a daily basis. And so we can kind of track percentage and compliance wise of what percentage of our athletes are using it. And if, if we're getting good buy-in from it. And being up there, like we're able to get feedback from them of things they would like to see. So we'll do different sampling events, but we've got different protein shakes. So we've got muscle milk up there. We have cherry juice. We have chocolate milk. We have some dairy-free alternatives. So that's where we have like soy milk, almond milk. We have different sandwiches each day. So a turkey sandwich is a staple. Peanut butter and jellies are a staple. And then we'll kind of rotate other things like tuna salad, chicken salad. We have a featured food each week. So it's the featured food basically for the entire week. This week, it's like a chipotle chicken with beans and rice. And so we have those in like bowls the athletes can get. So they get four points a day total. The heftier options, like the featured food does count as two points. So like really on those days, if they get the featured food, it's like one of those plus like two other items. Basically everything else is one point, but athletes use it a lot, like as kind of their pre-practice fuel. So this is like, in addition to what they would be eating at the dining hall. And it's really, it sounds to me anyway, like if you're doing like rice and beans and chicken or turkey sandwich, that it's like kind of optimized with protein and carbs and they don't have to make the decision like they would in the dining hall. Yes. Yeah. This was kind of our response to deregulation was being able to like in 2013, when this was started, it started out as just like bars, like very minimal, but it's kind of grown into like a lot more options, which is great because you do want things to kind of evolve. But this was basically because you can give things that are termed as like snacks, like unlimited. So this was kind of our response as a way that we could be able to give all of our student athletes some kind of snack every single day. 
So you're individualizing nutrition programs for each player for perspective, for those of us out there who are not nutritionists, how different are the general caloric and macronutrient needs for say an 80 pound gymnast and a 330 pound offensive lineman? So I try as much as I can to kind of stay away from numbers, but in my head, like I kind of will calculate them just so I kind of have an idea as when I go through their dietary recall of what they're eating and kind of what I think in mind, like that their caloric intake should be around. But you know, somebody that's five foot and somebody that's six, seven, very different, like caloric wise of what they're going to be doing. And same thing, like the difference between like an endurance athlete, like if you have a cross country runner versus a strength and power athlete needs are going to be very different as well. And so when I'm looking at like carb intake, that may be between five and seven grams per kilogram for a strength and power versus closer to like seven to nine for an endurance athlete. Like that's one thing that I'll kind of look at for like carb energy wise. And then same thing with protein, depending on what they're doing, like, you know, if it's one point, two to 1.7 grams per kilogram and kind of seeing where they fall with like their dietary recall. But if they're doing upwards of like, if they're post-surgery or if they are doing two a days, like their protein intake may be closer to that one gram per pound per day. What kind of tips? I'm sure that you have all of these things. You have athletes who show up a little bit underweight and want to gain muscle. You have athletes who show up overweight and need to lose fat. And then you have athletes who are kind of right at their sweet spot, but they're going to start practicing way more than they ever did before when they get to the collegiate level. And they're going to have a hard time maintaining weight. So you have the whole spectrum. So what tips do you give an athlete who shows up too heavy and needs to lose weight because I feel like those tips also could carry over to the general public. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I will look at, of course, like, are we in season right now? How much are they going to play or is this kind of out of season? And so first thing is, is I do kind of look at what their dietary intake is. Like I will look at maybe like how much fried food they're doing. And again, like we try to encourage like all foods to fit so that we don't demonize any type of food because that also kind of creates other issues later on. But if there are some things like I will look at like one, how much protein they're doing. Like, are you getting like a lean source of protein with all your meals? Like what's your healthy fat intake look like? So what are things that we could do for snacks that maybe aren't as processed? And do they have, you know, are they between 15 and 20 grams of protein? And then do your meals have at least 30 grams of protein? We know through research that spreading protein out throughout the day is a lot better than just doing it at one whole meal because your body kind of needs to make sure that that protein can help you to to last every three to four hours with eating. So I will look at the frequency. So whether you're trying to gain weight, lose weight, like starting with breakfast in the morning and then eating every three to four hours is really, really important in order to maximize muscle or sorry, to help with I guess not breaking down muscle like during the day and then also just helping to kind of make sure that your body's really used to knowing that it will have calories every three to four hours. (laughs) And is it, so it's the same probably for someone who wants to try to gain weight as well. So that you're just feeding the muscle. So, so if there are obviously like common denominators for a healthy diet for people who want to gain or lose weight, is there a particular type of diet that you advocate or is it just about getting the right amount of protein and carbohydrate? And I'm assuming eating some fruits and vegetables. Yeah. yeah. I always want three colors. Yeah. No, I do like one great thing. I think that I, I know I keep going kind of back to like football, but one great thing I think that we can do is I can do what I call like live plate coaching. So as as they're going through like the buffet line and even on the road on the weekend, I can kind of look at like what guys are putting on their plate 
And so then I could say like, Hey, like, I think you need some more vegetables on your plate or Hey, like, I think you should get another piece of protein there. Like I can kind of look at those things. And so I'm able to kind of do coaching like in the moment, I guess, which I really like. So that's where a lot of education can be certain like diets wise. Like I think it's dietitians can write meal plans, like, but I don't love to write them because they're hard, right? It's really hard to like, say, this is what you're going to eat every single day, or this is what your day is going to look like every day. And it's not some athletes really like, and really respond to that. Like I can do that. But then when you look at kind of the options and stuff, some people get tired of them after a week. And it's like, sometimes they're like a lot more work versus like kind of giving like a little bit of just like guidelines for it as well. So, I mean, it does depend. It's not that I can't do them or that I don't do them. I just don't love to do them. Do you have a lot of athletes and how do you handle the ones who show up as vegans or vegetarians? Yeah. So that's one thing that we'll kind of catch on our screenings as well. And so I I just had one recently, like a gymnast that came in that's, that is a vegetarian. And so she's not vegan. And so that's one thing that's really important for me. I think I always want to just kind of investigate too. How long have you been vegan for? Like, was there a certain reason? And so, especially if they've been vegan or vegetarian their whole life, it's not just something that they've maybe watched on a documentary and decided (laughs) to change just as a result of a documentary. But yeah. And so we do screen all of our female athletes for iron when they come in here. So of course, like looking at where they could potentially become deficient. So like looking at a vegetarian, like I do want to make sure that they know kind of where their sources of protein are just because for vegetarians, their protein needs are 10% higher. And obviously if they're not doing a lot of animal sources, like iron is going to be something that's really low. If they aren't doing a lot of dairy products or they're doing more dairy alternatives, vitamin D and calcium intake could be potentially low. So it could put them at risk for stress fractures or bone breaks. And then of course, like with B vitamins that you get from meat, like energy levels, in addition to the iron, which iron helps with oxygen transport to your muscles and to your cells. So that could be something that could potentially change just because training is going to be different at this level. Like what they were doing in high school is going to be very different from now too. And so it may be like, okay, let's kind of get a baseline of where you're at right now, just in terms of like micronutrient testing, and then just kind of seeing how are you going to eat at the dining hall? Let's maybe go through what your meal plan is. Do you need to make sure that we're going to the grocery store? Do you have access to a car? And just to kind of take into those, all of those things into consideration are things that I look at. Sometimes I'll even ask, like, are you open to being like a pescatarian? If you don't want to eat meat, like, would you consider doing like fish or salmon? Sometimes they're like, no, absolutely not, which is fine too. So really just anybody with a dietary restriction, I just try to support them in the best way that I can. And so knowing that I'm going to be a support system so that if something happens, um, because you don't want to say like, oh, nope, you cannot be a vegetarian at this level. Mm -hmm. Like it's tough. It is like, there's a lot of like pro athletes that are, but they also have Mm -hmm. lots of money that they can afford chefs and full-time dietitians that are able to do that and have people cook for them where it's hard, like where you're just going at the, you're at the mercy of the dining hall with whatever they want to cook. It is interesting what you just said too. I think a lot of people just decide to go vegan or vegetarian. You're right because they saw something on TV and they don't, that ends up with people eating a lot of like, kind of like grazy snack food and not getting the protein that they really need. And I think people don't really realize that when you are a vegetarian, your protein needs are actually higher than those of us who are eating meat because a lot of plant proteins are not complete proteins and you're not getting the amino acid profiles that you need. And it's not something that people are really educated about and really understand. So you do have to really focus on the the eating the protein, even if you're not an athlete and you're a vegan (laughs) or vegetarian. So 
I did also notice in your bio that you have a specialty in food sensitivities. How yes. often do you have athletes who are completely unaware that they are allergic to dairy or allergic to gluten and you figure it out and they're like, oh my God, my life is new. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the food sensitivity tests, like, so it's called Leap MRT is one that I got certified in. And so there's different ones, like All Cat is one, but I did the Leap MRT one is the one that like you have a certification. So it's like the certification is like certified Leap therapist. And so it's like a training that you can kind of go through. And so with that, like I used it more for when I was in private practice, but I've still been able to use it like at UNC and kind of at Florida when I was there as well. But what it is, is it tests for over 180 foods and food additives. And so sometimes like people come in and like a sensitivity is different than an allergy and it's different than like an intolerance. It's kind of almost like how I kind of describe it to some of our athletes is that like when you have a virus and your body's trying to get rid of it. So whether that's through like, you may have diarrhea, you know, if it's trying to like, or you're vomiting or anything and it's trying to get rid of it, like, or you have a fever, like that's your body's way of kind of fighting those things off. And it sometimes does that like with food that it may see things that it needs to try to get rid of it. And so it can manifest itself in different ways. So whether that's a migraine, whether that's headaches, whether that's fibromyalgia or joint pain, acne can sometimes be one of that. And then of course, like GI as well. So whether that's bloating, constipation, diarrhea, you know, kind of lots of those things. And so sometimes if we've done different things, whether we've done, you know, a low FODMAPs diet and just kind of try to take out some of those like high FODMAP foods and nothing is working and we can't figure out, then we'll kind of go to that food sensitivity test. And it breaks down your food. It is a blood profile and looking at like how your body kind of responds and what the IgE like response is to that food. So whether it like tests like low, whether it's medium or whether it's kind of red, whether it has a high, high reactivity to it. And then we do almost like an elimination diet where you eat like 20 to 25 of your least reactive foods on a daily basis. And so sometimes we can find things that they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm eating so much of this. And so, but there's different ways that I've kind of done it, especially if we do a food sensitivity test, like in season, it's hard to like eat on the road and eliminate all of your red and yellow foods and just eat your green foods, depending on what that profile looks like. We've had two athletes on the podcast recently who found out that they were allergic to eggs, like into their NBA careers and gave them up and were like, oh my goodness, that headache that I've had that I didn't notice that I've had for so long is now gone. Like it is crazy to kind of discover that your body is not liking something that you actually really like to eat. Yeah. Well, and it could be like a chemical in it. So a lot of times like with solanine that's in potatoes and stuff like that, some people just don't react really great to those things. And looking at even like nightshade vegetables and stuff and nightshade foods, like is kind of another thing that some people will, will kind of realize. And if they flag sensitive to three or more foods in kind of the same food category, based on kind of the criteria of the leap therapist, like you take that whole food group out and just kind of see. And then slowly after like five weeks, you can try to add some foods back in that were maybe a higher sensitivity than your green foods and just kind of see how those react, I guess, or how they do. It's interesting. You mentioned in your fueling station that you provide protein shakes. You mentioned cherry juice. Protein's obviously great for athletes who need to get more protein or are having like soreness or not recovering great. Cherry juice is great for people who aren't sleeping well. Are there any other supplements that you think are good for all of your athletes? 
Yeah. I mean, I think those are kind of the, we are a Gatorade school here. So it's great that we like are able to provide kind of different Gatorade products and then Gatorade actually acquired muscle milk like two years ago, like they bought muscle milk. So that's how we can also provide muscle milk products, which are lactose-free. And then they have a plant-based protein, like Evolve is one of theirs. And so we can actually provide lots of different, I guess, options to our athletes, which is really great. I think a multivitamin is a great thing just again for extra like basic reassurance. I think fish oil is also something that's really great. If you don't consume fish at least two times a week, your body cannot make those two fatty acids acids, EPA and DHA. And so you're, you actually have to consume them. And so if you aren't getting them from a fish source, fish oil can be a great thing. And fish oil is great for joint lubrication. It's great for inflammation and it's great for brain health as well, or cognition. So I think those are other things that are really great. Vitamin C, like you're able to get a hundred percent usually of your daily value, as long as you're eating like fruits and vegetables, but vitamin C is one of those things that like can only help. It can't hurt as well. So I think those are really great. I think a lot of people think the fish oil, it's like, oh, I'm young. My joints don't hurt. I don't need to take fish oil, but you're recommending it for 19-year-old college athletes. So joint health is good for anybody who's pounding on their knees all day long. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just for some, some practical tips here, what do you recommend for your athletes? So you, you mentioned in the fueling station, turkey sandwiches and stuff, but what's, what's an optimal pregame meal? Yeah. So I think things that are really, really easy to digest. So when you look at like white rice, white pasta, like would be like carb choices or even like herb roasted potatoes, um, as like your carb options, you want to try to stay away. I feel like from like cruciferous vegetables as much as possible, that may be like gassy. So I feel like green beans are really good. Like asparagus can be another great vegetable or even just regular, like mixed green salad, um, can be like your vegetable. And then I do a lot of like fruit usually is what I kind of recommend between like berries, blueberries, strawberries, watermelon, which is like 95% water. And then protein wise, like chicken, fish, Chicken is just going to be a, a lean option that's easy to digest. Fish can be great too as well. Lean steak can be fine, but it also is going to be very dependent on the athlete. A lot of times people will go more towards like the chicken just as it's a, just a leaner option. And about how long before games and workouts are you having kids eat this pregame meal? Yeah, usually about three and a half to four hours prior should be like your big meal. And then having things that are easy to digest to kind of top off your stores, like about depending on how close to the event it is, but 30 to 60 minutes prior is where you can do things like a banana or applesauce or a new triggering bar or a chewy bar. So those are all like great things. And then as you kind of get closer, depending on what you've had for electrolytes, if you're going to be sweating a lot, or if your activity is going to be longer than an hour, trying to do some type of electrolyte supplement as well. And then we use something called beet juice here. So a lot of our athletes actually will use like beet juice about 20 minutes prior to going out on the field, which is a natural source of nitric oxide. So it opens up your blood vessels. It's a vasodilator. And so it gets more blood flow, more oxygen to your muscles. So it helps with endurance and prevents fatigue. And then what about in-game hydration? Are you, I mean, I'm sure there's some athletes who don't love to drink the Gatorade, maybe upsets their stomach a little bit. They're just drinking water. If you come in fueled, it's probably not necessary to drink the Gatorade, but how do you manage the in-game hydration issues? Yeah. So again, with kind of different like sweat rates, and that's why I do a lot of like sweat rates kind of pre-season just to look at what 
people's sweat sodium rate is. And so the great thing is on the market right now, there's tons of additional supplements that have other electrolytes in them. So if somebody doesn't prefer to drink Gatorade, we have other options. Usually in a 24 ounce or 20 ounce bottle of Gatorade, there's about 230 milligrams of sodium. And so you can lose, like athletes can lose typically per liter or per hour, anywhere from 500 milligrams, like upwards of like 3000 milligrams. So having different like electrolyte supplements is really important just to make sure they are getting something. And so there's anything from there's drip drops on the market, which is 330 milligrams. There's Pedialyte that's 660. Gatorade also makes an endurance formula that's 660. So it's about three times the amount of a regular Gatorade. And then you have kind of your gator lights that they make, which are close to 800 milligrams. And then you have kind of this more like extreme (laughs) supplement called the right stuff. That's almost 1800 milligrams of sodium. So depending on what they'll do is kind of where we make different hydration plans based on kind of what athletes kind of prefer. And what about post-game meals? Post-game. So usually like post-game, it kind of varies as well. I think this weekend we're doing like a hibachi. So like rice, chicken, broccoli, basically like bowls that will kind of digest pretty easily. But we've done usually like I don't mind fried stuff post game. So if we do like Chick-fil-A or something like that, but I try within like 24 hours before the game, I try not to do a lot of like fried stuff with our guys just because it's more pro-inflammatory. As you guys, with the athletes that you're not with on the daily basis, the soccer team, whatever, are there snacks that you recommend that they carry in their duffel bag? Yeah. So actually my volleyball team just left for Michigan yesterday. And so I actually usually put together snack bags for them, depending on also kind of what they like as well. But I will put different things together. So I just did different bars. We did like a beef jerky. We did like a a popcorn, like a boom chicka pop like in there. So yeah, so we'll do different like snack bags for them. So that way on the road, they kind of pack those with them. And then for other teams that possibly I don't travel with. So a lot like for baseball, you know, there's 56 games in a season. And so for all of our home games, I like plan all of those vendors and stuff in advance for them and then try to go down there to like their pre games whenever I can. But then on the road, usually I'll set up in advance, like where they're going to get their post-game meals from. And so we use something, I think there's a lot of like universities that use it. We use something called Teamworks. And so I can put basically the menu on there and the guys can go out and fill out what they want. And then I can just download it as an Excel sheet and send it to the vendor. And so I can kind of look at like what they're also ordering. Wow. It's also technology oriented now. Yes. I I saw you eat that banana. I, I, (laughs) I know what you're having. So again, I was scoping you out on the internet and I read that you've run a bunch of marathons yourself. Do you tinker with your own diet and nutrition as you're training for events? I know you have two little girls now, so that throws a thing into the mix. So I do. I haven't like run. So my last marathon that I ran, I think was the fall of 2016. It's been like five years since I've been able to like run or train for a marathon. Cause my husband and I kind of knew that we wanted to, to start having kids. So running marathons kind of took a backseat, but yes, I played a lot, like kind of with what worked, what didn't work different electrolytes, like what would work. Like I am one of those people that loves like my fuel belt. So I do wear a fuel belt with all the bottles on it. Like when I was running and training, But just when you're like out there on really long runs, like you need something or I would strategically place things that I could pick up things or make sure that part of my run may run back by my car in case I need to refill stuff. 
but yeah, I hope I get to do another one eventually. Like I'm just kind of starting to get back into running a little bit more. We have a, a group like on football game days right now where we go and run. So we'll do like a game day run in the morning. So it's been fun, like, fun. for me to kind of get back into that. What are you teaching your daughters about nutrition? Right now, I just want them to eat. <laughs> They're so hard. It was funny. Like they both, like Amelia is my, she'll be two in December and then Charlotte will be four in December. But Charlotte's like palate and just like eating habits have changed so much um, just from what she used to eat. She used to eat anything. And now she's at a point where she's more picky and she can say, no, I don't like that. And it's like, ugh. I don't even want to cook anymore because I feel like half of it just goes in the trash can. But (laughs) do they eat vegetables at least? They do. They love green beans and they love broccoli, but they are more fruit eaters. They will crush some fruit. I like will put like a pack of blueberries, just like the normal like square pack of blueberries and they'll both finish it in like one sitting. So they crush fruit. (laughs) That's good. At least they have uh, something healthy going in and not not just uh, the sweet tooth. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Kelsey, this has been really fun. I really appreciate it. And I wish you so much luck with the remainder of the football season. You got basketball coming up and I'm super excited to see what happens with basketball this year. So, I mean, go heels all the way and uh, just good luck to you. Thanks, Lizzie, so much. This was so cool. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Kelsey for joining us today. You can follow her on Instagram at at Kelsey Amanda and on Twitter at at Kelsey underscore Gomes. You can also follow all things related to Tar Heel Athletics on both Instagram and Twitter at at Go Heels. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production. Podcast.